0: It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's Rock and Mike And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on The Rock Show Ooh, yeah, on The Rock Show Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 125th edition of The Rock Show. And today we have a very special show because we're talking about Johnny Cash, Elvis, and Sun Records. Sun Records, a famous label that had pretty much everybody that was anybody back in the days. Yeah, back back in the
1: 50s, that was definitely true. Uh, Anybody was on Sun Um, Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny We're doing 125 shows And we've never talked about Elvis
0: We had a little bit Back when we did the one um, When you mentioned that he was a drug dealer For all these
1: guys (laughs) Yeah, we talked about him briefly But we didn't get into too much of his music Uh, I mean, Elvis has been Elvis has been documented forever So we don't have to do that And we also had done a show on Johnny Cash But what I wanted to emphasize here is the sun records years in the night, the mid 1950s where both of these artists were on the same label at the same time. Uh, of course, Elvis would, would break away first and go on to do bigger things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny, a couple of years later, of course, would do the same thing, <clears throat> but there was a point when these guys were on the same label and they were all hanging out. They were playing shows together. They were on tour together, uh, hanging out in the studio. um, and I think, I think it's kind of like an interesting uh, point in time in the history of rock and roll. Now, one guy that we have to talk about a little bit here and get into a little bit of his history is Sam Phillips. Yeah, you definitely
0: yeah. got to mention Sam because um, he pretty yeah. much been in the business all his life
1: almost. Yeah, well, he was in the record business for many yeah. years and he started Sun Records down in Memphis. And uh, without him... You wouldn't have had Johnny Cash. You wouldn't have had Elvis. You wouldn't have had Jerry Lee Lewis. You wouldn't have had that rockabilly uh, style, Carl Perkins, guys like that. Roy Orbison uh, recorded for Sun Records. I mean, so many people. And Sam was, you know, uh, a sharp businessman, a bit of a, you know, record Typical record company story
0: kind of stuff we, we're going to talk about. But, but know, he didn't pim- run a record company in the beginning. Then they
1: kept taking all his artists. So he finally started a company. Well, he made money when they took his artists.
0: Okay? Yeah. It,
1: was, it wasn't like, you know, when Elvis left, uh, which I'll go into, he, uh, it's not like he got, he didn't get anything. He got one of the biggest deals ever, really, just for letting somebody go. Yeah. All right. So, you know, um, Talk about Sam first, because really he's the key here. And he was—he was born Sam Cornelius Phillips on January 5th, 1923, in Florence, Alabama. Now he was the youngest of eight children in his family. Uh, as a child, he picked cotton in the fields with his parents, alongside black laborers. So he was not a wealthy man to start out. Yeah. Okay, and I—anybody. Uh, <laughs> who starts out wealthy if you have eight kids you're going to end up poor. So <laughs> so you know he definitely uh, did not grow up a wealthy man. Uh, but the experience of 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 hearing the music that that the black laborers in the fields were making while they picked cotton while they sang and they played the blues and they played guitar and 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 this was a big influence on him uh it it left a big impression on him and in 1939 um on a family trip to memphis uh sam got exposed to the music that was on beale street now if you ever been to memphis beale street is the spot right that's kind of like the bourbon street in new orleans or 42nd street in new york city it's a spot where everybody hangs out and all the music Uh, all the music shops and everything and the different record companies were were located down there. It was kind of like a a home of country music. Right. Yeah. So um, his father, unfortunately would pass away two years later in 1941. And uh, it left Phillips to look after his mother and his aunt. So he had a lot of responsibilities, but in 1942, he started to work for WLAY radio station in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Now, Muscle Shoals is known for a fantastic record studio they have there. Uh, many people recorded there. Uh, Lynnard Skinner name checks them in, in a couple of songs. Uh, also, the Stones recorded part of Stitty, Sticky Fingers, the album Sticky Fingers at Muscle Shoals. But this was much earlier. Uh, and in, on WLAY, in Muscle Shoals, it was a very unique radio station to work for, okay? Because they had what was known as an open format. Do you know what I mean by that, Rob? Open so format? open
0: format is that you
1: just come and anybody can sing, right? No, no, no. This is a, this is a, a radio station that did not segregate the music. Black and white music was oh, played so together.
0: Played okay.
1: Yeah, they played everything at the same time, uh, which was kind of a rarity, in the South in those days, the uh, things that, you know, there was still segregation happening, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, well, you this know what's was funny
0: in the South is with those people loved those music. And they got so much stuff out of there. People were
1: singing and dancing from there. I mean, everybody influenced everybody, black and white. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you remember the movie Ray? With, yeah. Uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, God, who played Ray? I forget his uh, name. Jamie, Jamie, uh, uh, Oh, right. From uh, from in living color, Jamie Foxx. Jamie, Jamie Foxx. Fox. Yeah, right, know. right. I'm getting old here. Um he, If you remember the Ray biography, the story that was going on in the in the movie, he mentioned his love for country music. Yeah. Okay. And he was a black R and B singer, and he mentioned his love for country music, and and you know he would be asked by. Some people like, why do you like country music? You know, you're a black guy. And he's like, well, I love the stories. And that's true, okay? And, and that's definitely a reason to love country music. And, and also, you know, of course, the white artists were influenced by what the black people were doing. And, but you know, within time, I mean, we're talking 1942, but within 25 years, maybe even 20 years, probably more like 20, it, it, that would be all integrated. I mean, we we did the shows about Howlin' Wolf and Bo Diddley and and Muddy Waters, and and by the time the nineteen sixties came along, uh, everybody was you know white people were going to these shows, so it took yeah. time. But but in nineteen forty two, a radio station that was playing both kinds of music was kind of rare, and he it was an inspiration to him uh, as to what he would do in the future in just a few short years. By 1945, he would take a job at WREC, another radio station in Memphis. Um, five years would go by. He would save some money. And on January 3rd, 1950, Phillips opened the Memphis Recording Service at 706 Union Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, the idea was he was going to let amateurs record. Okay. Uh... The, 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 he was going to let everybody, black and white, okay? Um, and it basically drew a lot of performers from the blues circuit. Guys like B.B. King, Junior Parker, and Howlin' Wolf made some of their first recordings there, all right? It wasn't, um, called, sun, wasn't called Sun yet, okay? But yeah. it, more, it does morph into that, but we'll talk about that. Um, he also recorded, Sam Phillips, what many consider to be, and I do, the first rock and roll record, and that's the song Rocket eighty-eight by Jackie Brinston and his Delta Cats. Now that was a band that was led by 19 year old Ike Turner. Tina Turner's husband. Okay. That's eventual pretty, eventual pretty, husband.
0: That's pretty funny. I think you think he they name him they changed that name just to make it sound a
1: little bit more white? Yeah. Yeah. He had to do that. Okay, that was something, unfortunately that had to be done in those days uh you know but it was it would change uh those attitudes would soften and and really it's because of music that a lot of these attitudes in time about people but you know Ike Turner is you know i mean he he kind of you know he's almost like uh a Phil Spector in a way you know had this bad reputation Yeah. Okay, and you know because of how he treated Tina and other people, not just Tina, okay, but he also had this musical genius side, and you know he's a guy we maybe could do a show on one day, which I I actually never thought about it, but we should do a show on him. Uh, But he wrote and Sam Phillips recorded it at that studio for him. Uh, The recording was actually sold eventually in 1951 to chess records up in Chicago and they distributed it up there and it did very well. Okay. A lot of times in, especially before sun was starting the, the Memphis uh, the Memphis studio that, that he had uh, recorded Memphis recording ser- service studio really just recorded it, put it on an acetate a vinyl acetate. Yeah. And then they would you know, <laughs> find someone to distribute it. And that's how that would get out. Uh, when son started, he got into, you know, pressing his own things and stuff like that. He was, he was doing a lot more himself.
0: Was he making money out of this? Was he
1: charging the people? Uh, at this point he was starting to, okay. Uh, when son came along, he did very well. OK, we're going to talk about that in a second. But at this early yeah, but period. I'm
0: talking about this um, mentor's recording service, right? It was yeah. there was pretty much you You were paid to have your thing recorded. Oh, did you did you, did, did you have
1: to pay? Uh, yeah, that's sometime, what I Yeah, yeah. I, I believe sometimes you did. I imagine he had special deals with certain people eventually. But, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it was something you came in. Said, hey, you know, I got a, a a band here. Let's let's record some songs, and he would record for you.
0: Yeah, and then so he sounded good. He already had the upper hand. Artists. He had the connections to to, yeah. to
1: to press it, and you know, these guys were all. You know, it was a lot of Southern black blues acts, and they wanted to connect with what was going on up in Chicago. That was the that was the mecca. You know, I mean, and Memphis had its own scene too, which was slightly a little bit. little bit different than what was going on in chicago and the chess records and all that we talked about that in a bunch of shows now the memphis recording service also served as the studio for phillips own label once he started it okay and that was the sun record company which he launched in 1952 now over its 16 years of existence Phillips produced more rock and roll records than any label of its time, producing 226 singles. Wow, that's a lot. And Phillips that's recorded <laughs> different styles of music, but mostly what he was interested in was the blues. All right, that's what he really liked. Now, in August 1953, though, Sam would meet a guy that would put his label on the map. Okay, and and, and that man would be Elvis Presley. And Elvis would walk into Sun Records to pay for just a few minutes of studio time to record a two sided acetate disc that he was going to give to his mother. It wasn't like he was putting out a single and paying for that to go out. Okay, it was just he was making a, a personal record just for his mother, which you used to be able to do. Okay, you could do that. There were even places in New York City that would do that for you. Um, There was a song called uh, My Happiness, and the other side was going to be called That's When Your Heartaches Begin. Now, the record was going to be a gift to his mom, and Elvis, though, was trying to get a musical career going. And he went in there knowing the reputation of the label and the studio, And he was kind of hoping he would get discovered. Now, he was asked by the receptionist, who was uh, a female secretary named Marion Keisker. um, She asked him a bunch of times, like, who do you sound like? You know, what do you you sound like when you when you sing? And and every time Elvis responded, I don't sound like nobody. Okay, I don't sound like anybody else. So Sam Phillips recorded Elvis that day and. You know, he, he, these were two ballads, okay? And it was something that, you know, wasn't a big deal, wasn't gonna sell, really. So he didn't think of it too much in terms of, I've got a great artist here. But he was really impressed with the way Elvis sang. So he noted his name down as a possible future reference and held on to his telephone number or whatever, okay? Now, In January of 54, Presley cut a second acetate for Sun Records, okay? So he came back, and it was tracks called I'll Never Stand in Your Way, and It Wouldn't Be the Same Without You. But nothing ever became of them. They were never really released. Now, in April, he picked up a job at uh, the Crown Electric Company as a truck driver, Uh, and he... Still was trying to get a career going. He had recently done some talent shows and tryouts for different bands, but he was getting shot down. Uh, people didn't like his voice, and they didn't like his style, which I find, you know, I find that crazy. I mean, Elvis had a great voice, right? Yeah, so I don't, he could do yeah, really. yeah, but, you know, Elvis, and I'll go into this in, in, in a minute, but he, he used to get nervous in those early years, and I think he would occasionally blow it Okay, he would he would he would he would blow it in whatever tryout he was doing or whatever. Now, Sam Phillips was always, always on the lookout for someone who could bring to a broader audience the sound of the black musicians that Sun focused on. And rumor has it, he used to always say that if he could find a white singer that said had a black sound and feel, he'd make a billion dollars. Okay, but Elvis would be that guy. Okay, now in June of that year, he would acquire a demo by uh, an artist named Jimmy Sweeney singing a ballad called Without You. And he thought the song would be perfect for Elvis, okay, since he was kind of playing, singing ballads and all that. Now, um, he brought in Elvis to the studio, and Elvis just couldn't couldn't get it done for some reason he couldn't do the song any justice so he told elvis listen uh, just sing what you know what, do, what 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 song what songs do you know besides these ballads okay and he liked what he heard you know just off the cuff and he he, he set up a recording session for elvis and some local music musicians in the area now the session held on the evening of july 5th was when they were In the evening when they were performing, it was really proving to be very uneventful. It wasn't going that well. They weren't catching fire. They weren't catching lightning in a bottle. Nothing like that. But <clears throat> towards the end of the evening, when they were almost ready to wrap it up, Presley took his guitar out. And, lo- and he had like a little... If you ever see those, <laughs> those early pictures of Elvis, maybe in a suit, and he's got like a guitar... Yeah, it was like a child's guitar. Okay, it okay. almost, right? Eh? What's can, that? Are they called it ukulele? No, 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 not a ukulele. Not small like that. But it was a small guitar, really for kids. Okay, it was almost a toy guitar that he had. You know, it wasn't <laughs> it? Wasn't a really good, you know, acoustic or anything. No. Now, <clears throat> he took the guitar out. This was at the end of the night. They were almost giving up. And he started singing the 1946 blues number written by Arthur Crudup called That's All Right, all right, which we know as That's All Right, Mama. Yeah. Okay. Now, Sam Philmet, uh, Sam Phillips, immediately, as the band kicked in with Elvis, you know, they were starting to jam, um, he hit the recording button, okay, and he got it, all right, he got the song down. And three days later, popular Memphis DJ Dewey Phillips played That's All Right on his Red Hot and Blue show, okay, that he had. And listeners were phoning in wanting to know who this guy was. Who the hell who, is he? <laughs> who is he? He's great, you know. They are asking him, is he black, is he white? We can't tell. Okay. And uh, uh, Dewey Phillips, no, no relation to Sam, but Dewey Phillips would play the track several times on that show And during the next few days, the trio of Elvis, Winfield Scotty Moore on guitar, and Bill Black on the upright bass uh, will go back into the studio and record the Bluegrass number, Blue Moon of Kentucky, with an echo effect that Sam Phillips kind of perfected called Slapback. Okay. And that would be the B side of That's All Right Mama. All right. Wow. Now, you know how those rockabilly songs sound with that echo and reverb on the, yeah. on, the, on everything. That, that was a, a sound that Sam Phillips perfected. Other people had been involved with it, too. But for Sun Records, he really had that down, and he was able to you know, put that to, to Elvis's vocals and everything, and it, and it gave it a really nice kind of rockabilly sound. Now, the trio that we have here played publicly for the first time on July 17, 1954, at the Bond Air Club with Elvis still having, playing his little guitar, his child-sized guitar. <laughs> now, now the, the, the rumor is, is at the end of the, of the month, uh, well, at, at, I, it's not a rumor, I know this is true. At the end of the month, they appeared at the Overton Park Shell with Slim Whitman opening up. Now, Elvis was extremely nervous at this show, which is, you know, he, he hadn't done too many shows. OK. And his legs used to shake. That's how nervous he was. And what would happen is he would be wearing these like wide cut pants and which were, you know, uh, in, in style for the, the hip people. OK, he dressed very cool for the time. And, you know, when his legs would shake, it kind of emphasized in his pants and the girls used to go nuts. Because it looked like, you know, I mean, that's how he got the name Elvis the Pelvis and all that yeah, stuff. Okay. Elvis you know, he, he, and really it started out with him just being kind of nervous and shaking. Okay. Until he, <laughs> until, until he would kind of realize, like, you know, this is a way to get chicks, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so Moore and, and Black officially left their old band called the Starlight Wranglers to play with Elvis regularly. And DJ and promoter Bob Neal became their manager. Okay. The trio's manager. And from August to October, they played frequently at a place called the Eagles nest club. And they would return again to sun studios for more recording sessions. Um, Presley by this point, by this point in the end of the year, August, October, September, he was starting to get very confident on stage. Uh, He was really his style, okay, and it drove the women even more crazy, okay? And he would make an appearance, his only appearance, on Nashville's Grand All-Opry show, okay? He would be on the stage there on October 2nd, and Opry manager Jim Denny, who's in charge of all the shows there, told Sam Phillips that his singer was not bad, but did not suit the program okay so you know you watch those clips of Elvis and you think like wow what a great performer and all that but really what he was doing was something totally different very sexualized yeah it was edgy it was edgy it was it it was edgy for that time and and you had all these girls screaming okay and that used to piss off like their boyfriends okay and things like that and you know um let me it's funny, let me but, answer a
0: question, Mike. Yeah. When Elvis showed up to to most
1: of these places, did most people think he was black? Um, no, because the places he showed up were places that he he could be in there as a white okay. guy. Okay. Right. No, just, um, I was no, just no, I think over... I, I think I think when people heard him on the radio for the first time, you know, they they. They did yeah, not. that's what I meant. But if you heard it on yeah. the radio, you
0: wouldn't think it was. When you see Elvis and then you hear the voice, it doesn't match the
1: person. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it doesn't. Especially that early stuff. And, yeah, and, you when you
0: start them singing,
1: you're like, "Oh, that is him." <laughs> right, right, right. But he, but he wasn't like you know getting on the Chitlin' Circuit or something like that. Yeah, okay? he was. He wasn't doing that. Oh, but, no, but I know he,
0: that. I know yeah. that. But I can see people going there. And they might have think, "Oh, maybe oh, yeah. this is a black guy." And then they would
1: see. Hey, when, when the Rolling guy. Stones came to America on their first tour and played through the South, okay, I think I've mentioned this on other shows. They people showed up. They didn't have the records. They didn't know what they looked like. They just heard them on the radio, so they thought they were seeing these uh, a black act. Okay, and you know, a bunch of guys from Britain come out. And, you know, in in Keith Richards' book, Life, he talked about how, you know, a lot of black girls showed up and they did very well. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, Elvis, Elvis hung out. I mean, you know, if you know the story of Elvis, he he was hanging out in in Mississippi and in in Tennessee. He was hanging out with black musicians. Okay, before he ever started, he had no problem with that. Yeah. Uh, There's. No evidence that Elvis was ever, you know, racist, prejudiced in any way. I've never I've never heard anything like that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, people the beginning were probably like, you know, who's this guy? What, what is he? You know, so um, in November four, Elvis appeared on the Louisiana Hayride show, which was the main competition to the Grand Ole Opry. Presley, for some reason, got nervous. First set, he was going to do two sets, <laughs> and it created like a, another stir in the audience. They were going crazy, but then a second set was done. Went much better. Uh, the house drummer, who would eventually become his drummer, the famous DJ Fontana, uh, he kind of picked up on Elvis's rhythm, and his nerve, and his mannerisms, and and DJ Fontana was a Ori experienced drummer great fantastic drummer and he used to do shows at strip clubs okay and what you do at a strip club as a drummer is you kind of play along with the girls bouncing around yeah okay? of course okay you know like da, 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 you know like the stuff yeah. like that and El- and he started to play like that with elvis like if elvis shook his leg like like fontana would do a little drum roll or something and it, the audience <laughs> loved it. They thought it was funny. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they they ended up, uh, you know, he was act, you know, he supposedly at the end of this gig, the rumor has it, sold that little guitar for eight dollars. Okay. And after he got paid, he ended up buying a, a Martin acoustic for one hundred and seventy five dollars, and he played that from now <laughs> on. So he got rid of that little baby guitar. But that trio. Uh, before Fontana would join, uh, would tour again in new places like Houston, Texas and Texarkana, Arkansas. He was, you know, doing very well through the South. Now, that original... So they were doing,
0: team, you must say, they probably were doing pretty good money around this time, right? Like at least decent uh, money. Not a lot, but they were making some money, right? Some.
1: Some. Uh, you know, obviously, he gave up his truck drive. Okay, so, yeah. you know, he was he was living... Off this, which is what he wanted to do. Now, the original Louisiana Hayride show did very well for Elvis. It ex- exposed him. The Grand Ole Opry really didn't do much for him because um, they th- that was more conservative, kind of older crowd that wasn't going to like him. Okay, they were more like country and western, and Elvis was kind of like this new, this new rockabilly, rock and roll kind of thing. They really the word rock and roll really had it been so it was yeah. just this new music now his manager <clears throat> their manager the trio's manager Bob Neal signed a formal management agreement in January okay of uh 55 and brought Elvis to the attention of Colonel Tom Parker who uh, here we Bob, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah now Bob Neal considered him the uh the best promoter in the business so he's the one that, that, you know, introduced the colonel to to uh, Elvis. And we all know how that went over the years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at the time, Colonel Parker was heavily promoting country singer Hank Snow. And he booked Elvis on a February tour with Snow. Now, Sun released five singles in August of 55. And Elvis renewed his contract once again with year dj fontana joined up okay in this in that summer of 55 and they began a grueling tour through the southern one place that they liked to play but it was it, it, it created problems sometimes was texas it, for some reason in texas the male teenagers had a strong hatred for elvis they hated him okay the girls loved him yeah but the guys but the boys it. Well, you know why, right? Because, yeah. the, because the girls liked him. That's why, okay? So <clears throat> what used to happen is in, in, in places in Texas when Elvis would be uh, coming into town, they, they would have to have a police escort, okay? Or they, Like if he was bro- you know going into a, a, a venue that he was going to play, he would have to be a sport of them because some of these guys would try to take a pop at him. I don't mean shoot him. I mean punch him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like, it was craziness. Now, uh, Bill Haley, who wrote the song Rock Around the Clock, performed that, had that number one hit, uh, did some shows with Elvis during this time as well. Um, I think Bill Haley, I don't think he cared for Elvis that much in some of the things that I've read. I think because he, I think he saw the writing on the wall, like his time was up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bill, ha- Bill Haley like, moment there with Rock Around the Clock, and he was a Western singer before that. Yeah. So I think he knew when Elvis came along, he was probably like, oh shit, you know? But I'm done. it was a, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had my, my moment, you know. Now, there was a, a, a country disc jockey convention, country music disc jockey convention in early November of '55, and Presley was voted the year's most promising male artist Okay, at that convention. Now, big record companies at this point were starting to show interest in signing him, and he was still signed to Sun, okay? And Colonel Parker was starting to now be much more involved in Elvis's career. Uh, I don't think he was officially a manager yet, but that would be happening. He would be getting him a lot of good gigs, and slowly he would get his, his claws into Elvis. Now, <clears throat> one thing he wanted to do is get Elvis a good record contract. So he got Sam Phillips together, and they ended up, at all the offers, they ended up taking a deal with RCA Victor, the RCA label. And okay. it was for an, an unprecedented $40,000 to acquire Presley's son contract. Wow, that's that's large. Yeah, so Phillips got forty thousand dollars to give well, up to give up Elvis, which was a lot. That was probably equal to about a half a million dollars.
0: Now. Yeah, that's pretty much okay. what
1: it is. Yeah, easily Maybe may, may even be more, and up with RCA, and RCA I think through the rest of his career. Um, now. Also, what got during that time was uh, the back catalog. Everything that, that was recorded with Sun now is owned by RCA. So he washed his hands of Elvis, Sam Phillips, basically. Uh, I think there might have been a few exceptions, a few recordings. Um, I know the Million Dollar Quartet, which we'll talk about later, that had uh, Elvis on it uh, was retained. Uh, but the the actual you know that's all right mama and stuff like that those singles he never did an album for son you understand it was strictly strictly singles um they'd all go to RCA and be under their their copyright so over the years when when you look at L- mm-hmm. greatest hits they include that son stuff which is cool okay because you want to hear that that difference in the sound because he would of course yeah over the years
0: yeah so pretty much what they did they bought the entire library with no hassle we, we'll, we'll take everything
1: yeah forty thousand dollars okay now but i still think that's a hell of a deal for that time it, it was it was a hell of it was unprecedented it's never, it never happened before something that yeah. by anybody okay that's how bad people wanted to sign elvis all wow. right they you know they, you know, when he went on uh, Ed Sullivan and 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 he was he was off. OK, he hadn't done that. He hadn't even done that yet by the time of that contract. I wonder um,
0: I wonder how much money he made if they paid that much. I wonder how much. I, yeah, I
1: don't know. I don't know exactly what the, the details of his deal. Um, I think it was a multi, multi record deal. Uh, most most record deals are like three. Okay, especially in those days. But I think, if memory serves, I think it was more like 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 for Elvis that he had to put out for RCA. That's why he was always working. Okay, uh, If you look at that period of time from like 50, going forward in those early years on RCA, he was making movies, he started making movies, he started the movie soundtracks, Albums singles it was like elvis was you couldn't get away from him the only time the world got away from him was when he got drafted <laughs> a couple of years later and yeah, he wasn't it, was putting... like,
0: it made him like an entertainer right like he was entertaining the troops right
1: yeah, yeah, he did that he 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 i think he uh I think he served in 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 possibly West Germany i think if memory serves right uh, but he did perform for other you know, bases, he would take a band there or something and perform. Yeah. They kept him out of any kind of, you know, harm. Yeah. He wasn't, he was, he was <laughs> a I mean, it's yeah. No, no, well, there was no war at that time anyway, luckily. Okay. It was kind of in between Korea and Vietnam and before the Cuban missile crisis. It was right before that. So there was really no, no conflict. Everybody was pretty safe, but of course you never know. Okay. So, there's those clips of him getting a haircut and all that. And, and, you know, I always, the things that I've read about Elvis and the way that people viewed him, especially more conservative, older people, they viewed him as a threat. And there's those, those, you know, you ever see those clips of him getting a haircut. Yeah. Okay. You know, that was like a, that was kind of like a fuck you basically. Ah, Elvis, you draft, you got to cut your hair. Ha-ha. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> <kind> of, <that laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. You know, but, uh, Sam Phillips, even though he lost Elvis, he got $40,000. He still had another guy, and his name was Johnny Cash. Okay. Now, Johnny Cash and Sam Phillips had kind of a lot, a lot in common. Um, <clears throat> one, one fact that they had in common is that they both picked Cotton as children. All right. Uh, they had similar upbringings. Uh, Phillips was a couple of years older. But Cash's family were sharecroppers. And and just like Sam Phillips, the the young Johnny Cash was exposed to music while picking cotton. Okay, And he grew up during the Depression. And he always had a sympathy, developed a sympathy at a young age for the poor and the working class and the kind of downtrodden. And these topics would always be common in, in Cash songs. He always talked about the forgotten man, the prisoner, the the Indian, the American Indian, the, the 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 poor guy, the guy you know working his ass off and and getting nothing for it, you know. Now in 1944, John had Cassie,
0: another one that went to the service, right? Yeah, he yeah, yeah, was gonna, he drafted?
1: Gonna, uh, he, I believe he, hmm, did he enlist or was he drafted? I think he he went to the Air Force. I think he might have been drafted. Okay. Uh or or you might I think what you used to be able to do is kind of pick sometimes. Like if yeah. your number came up and I I guess he figured the Air Force was the safest. So, you know, he might have done that. But in nineteen forty-four, when he was twelve years old, his older brother was killed in an accident involving a table saw. Okay. If you remember the movie Walk the Line, that's kind of shown yeah. shown with detail. Now the death of Jack, which was his brother, affected Johnny very deeply. And, and he would, for the rest of his life, into, into old age, he spoke about at some point he was going to be with Jack in heaven. He was going to see his brother in heaven. Now, gospel music was a big thing for him. Uh, he would listen to it every day on the radio. Yeah. It was, it was, the radio was a constant companion for Johnny, especially at night. Uh, his family were musically oriented. They often sang in the fields with the other people. Uh, picking Cotton and his, you know, his mother uh, taught him guitar. Okay? His mother actually taught him how to play. And when Cash was young, he was discovered to have this beautiful high tenor voice. Okay, Now you think of Johnny with that deep bass voice. Okay? But when he was a kid, he had this high tenor voice and he could carry it to him. But it would, you know, once he got to high school, his voice changed and it became this bass baritone kind of voice. Yeah. And the world would know that. That's that's he would be known for that deep voice. Now, in 1950, Cash entered the Air Force and was assigned to Landsberg, West Germany. Now, he worked as what was called a Morse code translator and he intercepted Soviet transmissions and would translate them. While doing that one night, he actually discovered that Joseph Stalin died in the Soviet Union. So he relayed that information out. But wow. he would be, he would be uh, he would put his first band together while he was at Landsberg Air Force Base, okay? His free time, he would spend writing songs, playing guitar, okay? And he actually put a band together at the Air Force Base. Now, on July 3rd, 1954, Cash was honorably discharged from the Air Force and he returned home. He would settle in Memphis, Tennessee with his wife, Vivian, later that year. Uh, He took a job selling appliances door to door. And at night he would study to be a radio announcer, which I, I, to be honest with you, when you think about that, with that great deep voice he had, he probably would have been a damn good radio announcer. Yeah. okay, And that would be a perfect voice for that. Now, at night. What he would do is he would play with his friend, Luther Perkins, who played guitar, and bassist Marshall Grant. Uh, The two of them were known as the Tennessee Two. They had a musical background together. And uh, one day, Cash, I believe it was during work, came across Sun Records. And he passed that place a couple of times knew a little bit about it and he knew that he wanted to go in there, but he didn't have the courage to go in right away. But eventually he got the courage up to go in and he was hoping to get a record contract, a recording contract. So he auditioned along with the Tennessee two and performed for Sam Phillips some songs. Now Phillips wasn't impressed because what they were doing were gospel songs. And at this point, in nineteen fifty four gospel was a little passe,
0: yeah,
1: and he felt he couldn't uh he couldn't sell it. You know, there were people that liked it, but he wasn't interested in putting out any more gospel records now rumor and legend has it is that he actually told Johnny to go home and sin a little bit and come back with a song <laughs> instead of doing all these gospel songs why don't yeah. you go home why don't you go home and sin and sin a little bit, you know so eventually though cash would would win over sam phillips okay he would come back with some new songs he had written in kind of a rockabilly style now cash's sound was always you know in that 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 early time it was it was described as like a chugging train kind of rhythm yeah um he had some early songs there that, that Sam Phillips was impressed with, one being Hey Porter, Cry, 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 and uh, eventually he also, the... He also sang it with pretty good
0: speed, too. It wasn't like... He made it very fast singing and
1: pumped, and it was like... He could sing. Song. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He, he definitely could carry a tune. And, and yeah. you know, he had this... That they kind of invented on their own, this chugging kind of rhythm... With the guitar and the bass, and you know Johnny would play guitar too, and it just became his sound. But you know the three songs that that Phillips heard, I believe, that really impressed him was "Hey Porter," "Cry Cry Cry," and "Folsom Prison Blues." Now, yeah, but it, you know that would and that would be you know the signature song. Now, in '55, Cash made his first recordings at Sun uh hey porter and cry 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 would be the first single and they got released in june of that year now the single met with some success on the country hit parade it did well on the country charts on december 4th 1956 elvis presley dropped in on sam phillips while carl perkins was in the studio cutting a new track with jerry lee lewis backing him on piano now johnny cash was there as well in the studio and they were all kind of hanging out. Uh, Even though at that point, Elvis had left son. Okay. He came back to check things out, say hi. And at one point, all four of them started jamming together. Okay. And uh, Sam Phillips hit record. And most of the recordings have survived about half of gospel songs, actually. Okay yeah and so what you had was what was called the million dollar quartet. You had Elvis, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins They had a play broad Broadway about them yes, they did they did, and it was- I think it's partly based on this event this yeah. is considered this is considered like one of the greatest events in rock and roll history is is this here and and it never was officially released until 1981 all right that the the recording of it um was released in europe as million dollar quartet and then again in 1990 more tracks were found okay at sun and and incredible yeah it came out with the complete million dollar quartet all right now, Johnny Cash had said years later that he was kind of the farthest from the microphone, and he sang at a higher pitch to blend in with Elvis. I've listened to this, and it's it's cool stuff to hear them all together. You don't hear Johnny so much. He's there, but you don't hear his his deep voice as much, okay? Because uh, I think he was trying – because Elvis was really the star right there. Now, I imagine uh, – I, I I don't know – why sam didn't put it out then okay probably because elvis was signed to rca that's the only thing i could think of okay probably, probably. so he just held it so he yeah he just held it and uh he may not have even thought much of it uh, at the time you know and then many many years later stumbled across like look what i got here this is these four legends yeah. um you know and uh cash is um Next single for Sun would be Folsom Prison Blues, and it, that that song would solidify his outlaw image, his outlaw country image, and that yeah, would be the Man in Black. Right, the Man in Black. There people that would think the song was true—that he went to jail, that he did time for killing somebody. I mean, people really thought that about him. Um, the next song made the the country top five, and and that um, I'm sorry, the, uh, Folsom Prison made the country top five. But the next song would be a signature song as well, and that would be I Walked the Line. And that song yeah. went to number one on the country charts, and it hit the top 20 on the pop charts. Okay, so, and that song did very well in, even in urban areas and, and places that you wouldn't think that kind of song would do, would do well. Okay, you would think it would be more of just a country song. but, yeah, uh, but very well received by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can I can remember my father telling me a story that when he was a kid, when that song came out, he used to play handball a lot. And they used to always have a radio on the handball court in Brooklyn and they you know, that song would be on like once an hour. He would be playing ha- <laughs> handball and listening to I Walk the Line, you know? So um the next song, Home of the Blues, uh, that would be the next single, and it was released in July of fifty seven. Now that same year, Johnny Cash would be the first Sun Records artist to release a full album. Remember, remember, Sam was putting out singles. Oh, okay. and that was
0: the first time he never released an album
1: until that no. one. No, and Elvis never put out an album on Sun. Okay, it was just singles. But Johnny hadn't until July '57. Uh, I think it would be a little bit later, maybe towards the end of the year. I think it came out, and it was basically. Everything he had recorded, like the singles and some extra tracks. And, you know, the idea of a, of a long playing record really hadn't taken off yet. It was starting to. And he would be, you know, the first Sun Records artist to do that. He sold very well. Okay. Uh, Johnny did, you know, made Sam Phillips a lot of money. Now, despite these early successes uh, and being Sun's most consistent selling artist, Johnny Cash felt very constrained by his contract with that label. Okay. I mean, uh, there was things he wanted to do. He wanted to record gospel songs and yeah, Sam Phillips was, wouldn't got, let him do it.
0: He got gospel. He definitely wanted to gospel because he was very religious.
1: Yeah. Very spiritual. And, you know, uh, he would record gospel songs off and on through the rest of his career. Okay. Uh, he had full albums of, of, of spiritual songs. And I like, you know, the Johnny Cash stuff is is is, is great. You know, he, if you're going to listen to gospel, he's the guy. You know, but um, what also was happening is is Sam Phillips really was only paying him three percent of the royalties, mm. and and a lot of artists at that time, there was kind of a standard, and they usually got about five percent. So he felt that. Sam was beating him a little bit. And he was, okay? It's just the nature of the business, especially back then. Now, he also felt that he wasn't promoted as much as he could have been. And he felt that by, you know, the late 50s, 57, 58, that Sam Phillips was really more interested in promoting Jerry Lee Lewis at that time. So in 1958, Cash left Sun Records for a much better contract with Columbia, okay, and he would be with Columbia until I believe the early eighties, if I remember right. Wow. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah, yeah, very long time. So I would say about twenty-five years he was with, he was with Columbia, uh, and you know, like we talked about last week with the uh, with the live album live at, at Folsom, even sometimes Columbia didn't know what to do with him, okay, because he kind of skirted. This this line between country, rock and roll, folk music, blues, and, gospel. and even and, and gospel, exactly. So he he, he blurred he blurred the, the lines between those genres, and sometimes, you know, his records would bomb, and sometimes they would be huge, and the the, the prison records did great. The two that came out in sixty eight and sixty nine. Put him back on a map on the map at a time when he was kind of in a lull, uh, commercially, uh, and then you know he would do very well going into the seventies. But in, you know uh, what happened too that we got to mention is he got himself in kind of a a little bit of a pickle. Okay, when he left Sun, he the deal with Columbia did not involve the the past music at Sun Records. Okay. So Elvis, going back to him, really didn't leave much with Son behind, okay? And whatever was going to be there was going to be RCA's anyway. But Johnny had recorded a lot of music because there would be months that would go by that Sam wouldn't release a single of Johnny Cash's, but the songs would be recorded. And that's why he finally put out that one full album that year to release some of that stuff. But there were even more recordings that were never released until later on. And wow. what would happen is, by, by even as late as 1964, which would be six years after he left Sun, Sam Phillips would be putting out <laughs> stuff on Sun Records that, that Johnny recorded. So he would find himself in kind of the, the, the unique position of having two labels putting out his music at the same time. That doesn't happen much. Okay. Especially in those days, the recording company, the record company owned you basically. So, you know, and he had one song in 1960. Okay. Which was a song called old lonesome me that came out on Sun, even though he was on Columbia and it got to number 13 on the country charts. Wow. So he was, he was doing well for both labels. (laughs) You but what's
0: getting paid still? Even
1: though yes, he went to yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he had royalties owned to him. Did he get them in time? I'm not sure. I'm sure that that probably was worked out. Uh, who knows? But contractually, it would be owed to him, you know?
0: Yeah, well, that, and I guess
1: he probably got it. Because, you know, yeah. those
0: guys, they, they probably had a handshake deal anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure he got the money. So... That's the story, man. That's the, that's the, the interesting connections with, with Johnny Cash and, and Elvis and all those Sun Records guys. Um, yes, I did, I did mention in past episodes that you know Elvis <laughs> was bringing you know, Benzedrine, Speed, and stuff like that to the studio. The drugs, man. <laughs> the drugs, you know, and, and that's all true. And, and when they toured, these guys, you know, they would do these reviews and they would do two, three shows a night. And then you'd have to drive to the next town. How are you going to do that if you got to sleep? So yeah. they would be, they would, you know, nobody knew in those days about these little pep pills, and and Johnny would, you know, go down that road and, and get very addicted to these things, and he would, you know, he would be physically hurt. It would hurt his career at times, uh, but he would always pull back from it. And uh, Elvis, well, you know, he he. he became addicted to pills his whole life. Sad. Yeah. You know, a lot of those early rock and roll guys got hooked on that stuff, okay? And uh, it used to happen to actors and actresses too. Judy Garland uh, during The Wizard of Oz when she was filming that as a 16-year-old. They were giving her speed. The studio was giving her speed. Wow. Okay, they didn't know what it would do to you. It was like, okay... We need to work a little harder, you know. Stay up for another eight hours. Here's a pill. This will help you. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, it was meanwhile it was ripping your your body apart, you know. Wow. And you get addicted to it.
0: That's crazy, man. Yeah. So Mike, another good job. Uh, another episode of the rock show is over. Our journey to uh, one hundred and fifty continue.
1: Yeah, yeah, we gotta do something special for one fifty. We do one fifties,
0: but um, like always, very informative. You took out a lot of information, and uh, I think people will be very happy with this episode. Into um, next week, we got a lot more thing coming. Next week is the Ed Sutterman one.
1: Yeah, yeah that's gonna, gonna that. be a good show. That's gonna be a good show. We're gonna talk about. Oh, Elvis will be brought up again, of course. Okay, Probably the Beatles, and... Rolling Stone, yep. Rolling uh, the, Stones, the, 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 the doors. doors. Yep. And we're going to talk about some of the incidents that happened on Ed Sullivan and how uh, some people only did one performance because Ed, Ed got mad at them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Uh, and and there's no doubt that Ed Sullivan was very important in exposing America and American audiences yeah. to this new music that was coming out in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, without him, I don't know if if some of these artists would have would have really made it as big. So, so you it. can.
0: We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think so.
0: All right, Mike. So to all the people out there, thank you for the support. Um, we love you. We hate you. Go fuck yourself. But <laughs> thank you for all the support. Thank you for listening to me and Mike all this time and. Uh it's growing man. We just hit uh 70,000 view on the YouTube channel on, on the Getting Lumped Up channel. So that's a big milestone. 70 70,000 view, Mike. What do you think about that?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I got to mention Freak John too, okay? Yo, you know, John. his 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 input has been huge. Uh his shows have definitely brought a lot of views. Yeah. Um uh yeah, uh look, I'm I'm thankful for everybody that listens. I'm just a you know, I'm just a poor guy. I don't. I, this is what I love to do. I love talking yeah. about this stuff. I'm into music, and you know, I, I appreciate whoever listens. The conspiracy show, too. The Rocker Mike and Rob present show, when we get to interview interesting people, yeah. all that is kind of like you know, blessing in a way, and I appreciate it. it. It's amazing yeah. how many people want to talk to us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I don't know, man. It, it amazes <laughs> me sometimes, but yeah. Look, I mean. Yeah. We do a good job, though. We do.
0: Yeah. yeah a lot so, of people, people love that interview. You know what was getting hit again? The uh, Leather Leone show. People are loving that really? interview. That you yeah, people... Leather yeah, Leone. That-
1: heavy metal yeah. artist, Leather Leone. Yeah, we did a rocker yeah. mic at Rob Presents with her. She was great. She was a great guest. So where can we find you, Rob? Let's
0: throw out the social media. Oh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter... Uh, anything getting lumped up, and we also got the website getting lumped up, and um, we just signed with the National Podcast Association also, so you can find us there too.
1: Right, right. They have a list of podcasts that you can listen to, and with links to all the stuff if you want to get the t-shirts. We have. Um, yeah, you can go to the National National Podcast Association and look up getting lumped up, and you'll see all the links there. Uh. With me, if you want to find me, I'm on the Rocker Mike212 on Instagram, Rocker Mike212. And then I'm on Rocker Mike on MeWe, Rocker Mike on uh, Clout Hub. And of course, uh, I am on Facebook under Rocko Mike, Rocko Mike. <laughs> and then you can look for us also on the Rocker Mike and Rob, uh, the Rock, excuse me, the Rock Show Podcast group page. Okay, on Facebook. Make sure to join that. That's how a, a jump in. Getting
0: strong. Yeah. More and yeah. more people keep joining.
1: Yeah, I think we, we had a, quite a few new people this week. So, yeah. yeah, so that's it. You can find me all over social media, too. All
0: right, so this is the end of another show, and we'll see you next week. Remember, don't get drunk. Get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week. Take care, people. Cast you will hear. That will be music to your ears. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know. And it's only here on the rock show. Ooh yeah, on the rock show. Ooh yeah, on the rock show. Don't tell your friends. Let's get lumped up on the rock show